We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, you beautiful beings. I feel so blessed that we're connecting in this energetic way today. And I'm hoping you are feeling the support and the love that is here for you now. Uh, Yes, true love. Isn't it something we all long for? However, if you've been in a relationship for any length of time, you may already know infatuation, romance, and the exciting first blush of love does not last indefinitely. There can be an ebb and a flow to the energy of our committed partnerships. And sometimes these ebbs and flows can be confusing. I'm pretty confident many, most, and maybe even all of us have been at a fork in the road or a challenging juncture in our relationships and wondered, should we stay together or should this be over? Today, I have an expert with us who's going to share some enlightening information that can light our way and help us navigate through the natural and perhaps inevitable cycles of love. We are here with my wise and wonderful guest, Linda Carroll. Linda has been a couples therapist for over 30 years and is certified in transpersonal psychology and imago therapy and is the master teacher in pairs therapy. Linda offers workshops across the country and is the author of a beautiful and empowering book called Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. We're very fortunate to have her here with us today to explain and help us understand the natural and sometimes confusing terrain of everlasting love. So Linda, thank you so much for being here today on Empower Radio and Journey to Center. Hi, I'm so glad to be talking to you. It sounds like we have a lot of the same thoughts about relationships. I am so excited. I don't know about you, but I've had to go through some very um, rough and challenging um, places on this journey to get to this place of greater clarity. Has that been the case for you as well? Oh, yeah. Of course. Life (laughs) has been my teacher, most of all. I say the wounded healer is the most powerful kind of healer. It means we know this terrain (laughs) intimately. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) So um, you have been a relationship expert for a long time. Have you seen certain patterns emerge repeatedly through the couples that you've worked with? And is that how and why the book came into being? Partly, but it's really partly because I have struggled so much to understand my own journey through love. And I've been trying to figure it out since I was 11 years old and fell in love for the first time and and didn't, I mean, maybe even long before that, you know, watching my parents who were so, they would they would argue and be so awful to each other, so nasty and angry. And then sometimes I remember when they would go out at night and they'd have a few drinks, they would suddenly become very loving. And I thought, this is so weird. Why does this happen? So, I mean, I can go back all throughout my life trying to understand love has, not only has love fascinated me as a kind of an objective thing to, to try to make sense of, but my own relationship to to my relationships have fascinated me and have been my teachers and, and have helped me understand this as well as a really rich, strong, many-decadeded marriage that that is, you know, one of the uh, 
often one of the gifts of my life, most of the time, not always, but it, <laughs> but overall it really has been, and seeing why is this different? You know, what's different about this relationship, and what have I learned from a lot of therapy, a lot of understanding myself, a lot of looking at, at what is available to understand about relationships? I thought, I'm going to figure this out when I was 40 years old, and I I have figured it out as much as we can figure out something so mysterious. I, who I've stood on the shoulders of great teachers, so it isn't just me. It's it's many people I've studied with have helped me understand this. Yes, and I, I love your book. I've read your book, and it is very um, comprehensive. I think if people are confused about relationships, where they're at in their relationship, if they read this, they're going to have a lot of ahas, the fog is going to lift, and clarity is going to start to um, show up, which is always a beautiful thing from my perspective. Yeah, that's a, I've gotten lots of feedback from people. And you know, one of the things they really seem to appreciate the most is, oh my gosh, we're, well, this is normal. I thought it wasn't normal, and I can talk about that for a long time about why, but there's a, a lot of um, a lot of feedback, which is it's that, that somehow the journey is normalized as being a real thing rather than something that it's a real thing with real people and it includes struggles and it includes seasons rather than just being stuck in that first stage of, mm-hmm. of love that we think of as what the real thing is. Yeah, the infatuation, which is really fun, but that's, you know, it's inevitably going to pass at some point. Yeah, so I'm really excited, Linda, to get into the actual five cycles to understand okay. What they are, and I've got my my notepad here, and I, I want to um, get really clear about the five different cycles. And I would imagine people listening are going to kind of relate to um, maybe where they're at in this, and and again, lend them some clarity. And then we'll talk about how to get through the the more challenging cycles. Okay. Um, the well, the first cycle it doesn't it really doesn't take any learning about anything uh, mm-hmm. to to be in it because it's what I call the merge. It's when we fall in love, and we don't. And we don't, there's no intelligence involved. There's no understanding involved. We just meet someone and our body goes into a very strong reaction, which we know now is mediated by chemicals and hormones. And not everybody has this, not everybody um, falls, not everybody gets together this way, but the majority of people do in this culture. We get hit. By a two by four, with a two by four, we meet somebody and it's like, oh my gosh, my life has changed in this moment. And that, and we, and we feel like because we have been taught that by our media, movies, songs, poetry, stories, that this is what love is. And, and and the stories that we study in school, Romeo and Juliet, you know, that first stage of love, which is a total chemical high. And it has lots of parts in it. We can take apart some of them, not all of them. But I want to say that the feeling that we have towards somebody, no matter how strong, doesn't mean they're a good match. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing I understood that really set me free. Is that I I could feel very attracted to someone, and I have, but for for a B, it meant I should run the other way. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be compatible. I thought it was interesting when I learned that the subconscious mind is the the aspect of ourselves that does the picking as far as like, oh, the chemistry and the, the infatuation, the physical attraction. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good fit mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. 
No, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a good fit, and it doesn't mean that the other person isn't some kind of a jerk, you know, or a jerkess, whatever that is. Um, we can. I remember there was a book out years ago called um, Women Who Love Too Much. That was like, you know, 40, 30 years ago. And she said something. I saw her in an interview. She said, put me in Yankee Stadium and cover my eyes and put a bag over my head, and I will still find the most narcissistic person in the whole auditorium to fall in love with. That there was something in him, her wired to fall in love with unavailable people. So before we, even before we talk about the stages of a, of a relationship that has a lot of possibilities, I really like to put that in, that just because we have the feeling doesn't mean this is a compatible person. In fact, it may mean if you have a history of that, you need to go the other way. Yeah. So the so that's one aspect is that, as you say, that we are programmed to fall in love with somebody who is familiar. Amago means familiar love. And we think we fall in love with them because they have all the characteristics we love best. But we will find out in time that we will end up feeling much of the the painful feelings we felt as a kid. So we are programmed to fall in love with our unfinished business. Yes. And our bodies are programmed to fall in love with people who have different DNA, um, different DNA that's least like ours in right. some Opposites cases. Opposites attract in, in that regard. Opposites attract. And, you know, who knows what all of those things are about why we are glued to one person. But... Um, they, so, so having said that, that they don't necessarily mean that's quote the one as as we used to say, is is that person the one? It doesn't necessarily mean they're the one at all. It just means you have a lot of attraction to them, and that's very unromantic, don't you think to say? I mean, I yeah, love it is. I mean, and again, it's you say it's like a drug induced state, and I've I've certainly experienced that myself. And would agree. <laughs> yeah, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I just like fantasize. It's like it really you know can take you off. Um, of course, Actually, but gosh, I'm saying it feels good. It's so fun. A drug-induced state, mm -hmm. not just like a drug-induced state. It's a drug-induced state. It actually is because when you test, when you look into the brain chemistry of people who are in that new stage of love, you see that their bodies are filled with with lots and lots of norepinephrine, which is a drug, oxytocin, which is a drug. Serotonin gets reduced, which makes us have behavior like um, OCD which is um, obsessional compulsive disorder, and, and the brains actually change. The parts of the brain lights up when we are thinking about our, our lover, the same part of the brain that lights up when people gamble. You know, it's the pleasure center of the brain, so it is actually a real change. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, so that's really a part is. of it. Then there's, a part, there's another part, you know, we'll never understand why we love who we love. And there's, a, I think, a spiritual part to that, that sure. what, we, what we see when we, when we first see somebody and we have that feeling, that glow that goes around them, I think <laughs> we see the possibility of what they can become. It doesn't mean they ever will, but it means that we, we see the highest part of each other. That's mm -hmm. another part of the chemical. So there's many, many parts of it. Um, so the and, and and then let's so let's so that's the part that so we've talked about when it is the the feelings are directed towards someone who isn't going to be a good match. Sometimes the feelings are directed towards someone who is a good match and who has all kinds of characteristics that they could make it for the long term. But mm -hmm. you know those characteristics about making it for the long term are not the real sexy ones. They're the ones like stability, ability to really know themselves, to apologize generosity, how to maintain relationships over long term. 
that those qualities are not like you know the green the green flicker of their eyes that make us want to fall to the ground. And and <laughs> those qualities that you're talking about, Linda, can take some time to. Um surface or reveal themselves yes, and, and by then exactly. we may already be in a committed partnership that's right that's exactly right so getting to know that first is really important mm-hmm. um and then okay so let's say we do actually meet somebody and they have the character traits that can make them a good partner for the long run what's going to happen we're going to feel those feelings and then they have a the chemistry the brain chemistry actually has a top of three years. And every time we fall in love, we feel we have less and less time for that to last. So three years the first time and two years the second time, let's say. And, you know, I mean, I I remember people in my 30s who were recycling every three months. And I understand now they wanted the buzz and that's why they were doing it. So we stay with that high. We have to keep recycling more and more. Um, Hopefully, many people have learned some things by then, though, and learned how to choose better than I did. And what happens is, is the chemicals wear off, and yes. we start to see the other person is not our other half. In fact, nobody is our other half, but and we have to be our other half. Yeah. But at the beginning, it feels like that. We begin to see things that in them that we didn't notice before. And sometimes, you know, what's funny about that is it's actually those characteristics that we fell in love with start to annoy us. Those mm. very characteristics. Now, are we um, moving into the second cycle? We are. You want to stay longer <laughs> All right. in the first? Yes, okay. You want to stay longer in the first? I, I love no, hanging no, out the time first. To, I know what that first is about. Been there, done that, loved it. Now we need to move on to the reality of relationships. What so, yes, happens let's, next? let's move into the second. <laughs> Okay, next, what happens next is some of the very things that I fell in love with are going to start to bother me. You know, I fell in love with my husband because he's so predictable. And if he says he's home by six, he'll be home at six. And I love that. And I still appreciate that. But I remember one time when we were supposed to go somewhere for a vacation, just a quick weekend getaway. And it was to a place near where we live that has, it's very sunny, but it was raining terribly. I said, Let's go to let's go to Portland instead. He said, "No, we've already made a plan." I said, "We can change the plan." And I, this was like the first power struggle. He said, "No, that was the plan. We've got a place. I mean, we're going to we're going to do that." I said, "No, you're so rigid." He said, "You're so impulsive." And all of a sudden, this steadfastness in him that I loved, and this part of me that was spontaneous, turned into rigidity and impulsivity. And so that's the kind of thing which, you know, those qualities are neither. They're both. They're both. You know, I can be yes. impulsive and I can also be spontaneous. But right. we start to try to change the other person back into who we thought they were. And we start to notice things about them that are that are the beginning of what I call loops. And that power struggle, as, as Harville Hendricks, my Imago teacher, says, the, the, the merge, that first stage is nature's anesthesia. It's going to numb us to the fact that we are falling in love with an incompatible person. Mm-hmm. And we start to realize the ways that we're different in that second stage. Um, and some of the ways that we're actually really different that we didn't notice at first, certain things that we didn't, that we didn't find out. And I, and I remember, you know, I just think human beings are annoying to live with anyway. I mean, that's just me. I have a very, I'm pretty intolerant. And one of the really helpful things for me was one day I realized how annoying I was. 
that was a great moment, really. It was thinking, well, I have to, he has to tolerate as much as I do. But in that set place of doubt and denial, there are normal things that, that come up. You know what? People, when you do the research, people have about 10, every couple has about 10 irresolvable issues. 10. And the people who die and the people who thrive just know how to manage those differences better. They have skills for managing the differences, but they have the same problems. You know, people fight about the same things or feel annoyed about the same things. Pets, housework, sex, money, vacations. It's Those come up in every relationship. And most of us didn't learn skills for how to manage them, how to manage those. So we get stuck in feeling the power struggle, and it starts to feel sometimes like, what did I do? Did I make a mistake? Oh, my gosh. Everyone else seems so happy. We're struggling. What's wrong? Yes. Yeah. And does that segue into the third? I would imagine a lot of people kind of break up then. The bloom is gone. I think a lot of the, people the, do. Yeah, I think they do. And because one of the things that can happen is that you start to see the differences. And if you don't know how to negotiate them in a way that doesn't make somebody wrong, then what happens is those become loops. I call them mm-hmm. infinity loops of relationships. Those become the trouble, not the differences, but how you are managing the differences. You know, if you have a person, for instance, who's very defensive and their partner can't say to them, you know, this is, this bothers me, or I realize, you know, you're, you, let's say somebody who is always late or mostly late, you know, if you have a partner who is afraid to mention that, they just quietly feel upset every time their partner is supposed to be home and is late. Or if you have a person who's highly defensive and they can't hear their partner say, I, you know, I feel scared or I feel, upset when I have dinner and you're not here. I feel scared when you're an hour late and you don't call what's happened. And if you have somebody that says, why are you always criticizing me? Then you have another trouble. And that can really, that can break up the relationship very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Defensiveness and not being able to know how to deal with conflicts. Because most conflicts start out as a two on a scale of two to 10. But how people manage them can take them to a 10 very quickly. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the back and forth, the defending, the explaining, the denying, the projecting, the, yeah, that's a painful place to be, for sure. Yes, that's right. So then we have disillusionment. Is that just the deeper place? Is that the, the going to the next phase of doubt and denial? It is, but you know, it's it's sort of like the first stage, because the merge, the first state, is, is very much a trance. And the trance is enchantment. Everything is perfect. We get to the third stage, which is disillusionment. We're stuck in those loops, those ways of of defending, or as John Gottman talks about, the four horsemen of the apocalypse of relationship, which are um, how we make stonewalling, pushing away, uh, contempt, criticism. We we fall into another kind of enchantment. It's disenchantment. So in the beginning, everything's right. In stage three, everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. And then, and that's what we start to see. We start to collect evidence often in disillusionment. People get depressed. And then you have the normal stages of life that we go through, just the seasons in our own life. Mm-hmm. When you're in a disillusionment phase in a relationship, you can, th- you can turn it all on the relationship. The real problem is not my job. It's not that I'm 40 and I'm wondering what I'm doing with my life. It's not that it's rainy here in Oregon all the time. 
this month, it's you. Yeah. (laughs) Everything's pinned on this person now. I I can totally see that. I can totally relate to that. That's right. Everything's his fault. Mm -hmm. Everything's, everything's, everything's the fault of the relationship rather than looking within, um, rather than, than trying to figure out what else is going on. And when you get stuck in that, you really can get stuck as one person criticizing, one person defending. Sex dries up or or one person is always feeling rejected or it becomes perfunctory. And, you know, that's one of the great ways that we have of discovering each other again and giving giving pleasure, creating intimacy with our sexuality. But in the third stage, couples often stop having sex at all. And they right. stop for other reasons than that, but they stop. Um, the right. statistics say one in five couples are finished with it, and they never, ever, ever will have it again. They'll never talk never about it. Back. Wow. And, and that's they, tough. But that's, that's the ripe uh, ground, I would think, the fertile ground to, to go into this fourth stage, yes. the decision stage. Do we stay? Do we go? What else can you say about that really important love cycle? Oh, it's huge because the decision, if you go to get out of the pain in, in most situations, not all. I mean, if you're married or if you're in a partnership with someone who has, a, who has very serious problems that are off the course of, of normal problems, you've got to get out of that or you've got to be safe. But if you're in a relationship with a person much like you, a human with their share of troubles and also their gifts, but you're just fed up, all you can see is the troubles, if you leave and don't know how you got to that stage, you're going to create it all with someone else. It's all going to come back because guess who you take with you when you go? <laughs> yourself. <laughs> you take yourself and you'll probably find the same kind of person yeah. again. Yeah. You know, Tyrants I follow I mean, us. That's so true. We have the same, uh, the, the boy I fell in love with when I was 11 years old has many of the characteristics of my husband. And there were a few partners in between there that you know, were, that that shared certain things, only they got healthier and healthier. But they all had very similar characteristics. Oh, I can and, so relate. Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? I can so relate. That pattern followed, followed me until I did my inner work. That's right. Well, mm-hmm. And also the, some of the things, like my husband's very, um, you know, he's very practical. And you can be practical, and but he's also very in touch with his feelings. But he's pragmatic first. He's a, he's a, a scientist. And that's the first thing that comes up. Well, uh, the first that first boy at 11 years old was remote. I mean, he was like a robot, really, when I look back on that. And my husband's done a lot of work to connect his heart and his soul and, the, and his head, and he's great with that now. But it, he has he had a tendency to be very much in his head. And so there, there's lots of examples of people who, if one, you know, we have characteristics, and an underused characteristic can be negative, and a, a, or it can be a positive strength. And I was very impulsive when I was younger, and I've learned how to put my head into that now right. so that I'm much more considered in what I do. Um, but, but the same kind of similarities come through. I think That's my opinion. We think that we've found the opposite kind of person, but unless we do the work, we don't, or we find the same kind of unhealthy person. Right. That way. We've got to become whole. So, Linda, we just have about a minute or two for our last, which I think is the best part of the love cycle journey, and that's wholehearted loving. Can you talk about that for just like a minute? When we fall in love, we think we found our other half. When we go through this journey and we make the decision to do the work, part of the work is understanding that, in fact, 
we are whole. So that wholehearted comes from whole. And part of that work, of course, is to see what gets in the way of being whole. That's what we have to do with ourselves. But if I can love you from a whole heart, and I don't think you're my other half, I don't think you're there to finish me, that I know who I am separately from you, I can really love you fully. Because mm-hmm. this, is not some, this is not coming from anything other than a choice every day to be there. Because I know I'm enough for me, so I choose to be here. Ah, and that, to me, is happily ever after. Yeah, isn't that great? Oh, Linda, you're talking to my heart. All right, sweetie, we have about a minute for you to tell us where can we get your book, Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love, and connect with the amazing Linda Carroll? Where well, do people you go? Can go? You can go to my website, which is lindaacarroll.com. My book is, you can get it at Amazon or bookstores, um, carry it, um, or they'll order it for you. It's... Um, or Barnes & Noble, wherever it is that you like to shop, or you can go to New World Library. Right now, there's a 50% sale on all books. So they're, they have wonderful books there, and that's going to go on, I think, for another week and a half. So newworldlibrary.com is another one. If you go to my website, you'll see a place that says books, and you just click on, and you're going to be looking right at Love Cycles. I just appreciate you so much. You really are making some of the more confusing terrain of relationships um, comprehensive. So I think, gosh, I wish I would have had this book years ago when I was, you know, on the loop. (laughs) Well, I bought it for, I think I wrote it for my 16-year-old self. Oh, isn't that awesome? I think I wrote my books for my younger self as well. But again, the wounded healer is the most powerful kind of healer. Once we can get through the confusing terrain, we can light the way for others that may be struggling with that part of the journey. So Linda, I'm so grateful you said yes to this interview and I'm so excited you said yes to a second show with me for next week. So, and to my listeners, I'm so grateful to spend time with you. You make this worth doing. If you want to get in touch with me, TammyBPhD.com. I want to hear from you. This is all about relationships. God bless you onward and upward. Bye for now. <laughs> 